According to Bill Gates, heating and cooling account for 7% of global carbon emissions. Not a great deal, perhaps, but given that we need to cut emissions to zero, they must be dealt with. Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 5th of March. I'm Anthony Day. In a moment, we'll hear about a form of low-carbon heating from Cathy Hanoon of Dandelion Energy, of particular interest to listeners in North America. Before that, it's my pleasure to welcome two new patrons of the Sustainable Futures Report, Silver supporters David Emsley and Chris Marcel. Welcome to both, and thanks indeed for your support. If you'd like to be a patron, you'll find out more at the end of this episode. I'm also going to talk about how Brexit has changed the whole approach of the British government to environmental regulation. But first, here's my conversation with Cathy Hanoon of Dandelion Energy. Right, well, today we're going to talk about domestic heating. And my guest on the Sustainable Futures Report is Cathy Hanoon, who is the president of Dandelion Energy of New York State. Cathy, welcome. Thank you so much. Now, most people heat their homes with natural gas or with oil or sometimes with electricity. And you're talking about geothermal energy. Now, when I think of geothermal, I think of hot rocks at the center of the earth. So does that mean that we have to be living on the slopes of a volcano to, to take advantage of it? You know, I'm glad you asked, because certainly if that were the case, it would be a little bit less applicable to most homes. But actually, with this kind of geothermal, we're just talking about essentially sunlight that's heated up the very shallow um, underground. So any home on the ground, essentially, can take advantage of this form of geothermal heat. You don't have to be in a volcanically active location. Great. Well, tell me a bit how it works. You, you, you drill into the earth. Um, how do you do that? Why do you do it? And how does it all work together? Yes, absolutely. So we do. We drill into the yard, um, typically about maybe 100 to 200 meters down. And um, so it's quite, quite deep, but yeah. these holes are also quite narrow. Um, and we do that because we just put a simple plastic pipe that circulates water down into the ground to pick up just the heating energy that's naturally there. That water is then sent to a heat pump that is inside the home, typically in a basement or a utility closet. And that heat pump extracts that heat uh, very efficiently and concentrates it. So we're getting to much higher temperatures than are found in the earth and then blows it throughout the home. So. That, it sounds complicated, but it's actually very similar to how a refrigerator works or an air conditioner works. Both of those types of equipment are also heat pumps. Now, the systems that you use uh, in the States, which is different from what we use generally in Europe, is that you're using a heat exchanger connected to your heat pump to directly heat the air, which is then blown throughout the house. Is, is that correct? That's correct. So Dandelion today, we serve homes that have ductwork and use forced air heating. Geothermal as a technology can also be used for homes with radiators who use um, radiant heating 
Um, so it's not a technology limitation. It's just not what Dandelion offers today because so many of the homes we serve have that ductwork. Yes, of course, of course. Uh, and I believe that, if, that you can use that ductwork in reverse. In other words, to use it as a cooling system. Uh, yeah. So what are you doing? You uh, taking the heat and then putting that back down into the earth? Exactly, exactly right. And when you think about how an air conditioner works, you know, with that type of heat pump, you're also extracting heat from a house. But with an air conditioner, you're rejecting it into the outdoor air. Mm -hmm. And that's very difficult and inefficient to do when it's very hot out because heat likes to go from hotter places to colder places, not from colder places to hotter places. But unfortunately, we need air conditioning most when it's the hottest outside. So we have this unfortunate... Um, situation with air conditioners where just when you need them the most, they work the least well, right? Whereas with geo, because um, the ground maintains this very mild, steady temperature year round, the ground is actually going to be cooler than the air inside the house. So it's much more efficient, much easier to reject that heat into the ground than it would be to reject it into the hot outdoor air. So you are heating and cooling this this shaft where you have put your your the the loop which is connecting uh, which is collecting or rejecting the heat that's right yep now if you're putting that fairly close to the property is there any risk that it can destabilize the foundations of the building no there's not um so you know, we think about that question in two ways. So one is we want to make sure that the drilling equipment itself doesn't get too close to the foundation because putting any very heavy thing next to a foundation, you just need to be careful that like, you know, the heavier it is, the further away it needs to be. So it doesn't put too much pressure on that soil next to the foundation. The dandelion drilling equipment that we use, we've actually made it much lighter and the weight is much more spread out than conventional drilling equipment. That's one of the things we've brought to this process. So we are able to safely get much closer to homes without worrying that we're putting too much weight on that land. And that's convenient because some homes really just don't have a big yard. So like the only place to drill is right next to the home. Um, and we can do that with our equipment. And then the other thing that some homeowners ask about is, well, what about the vibration when you're drilling? You know, that you have some frequency and you're pounding on the rocks underground, like will that have an impact? And the truth is the ground attenuates um, vibration like very, very quickly. So the ground itself, in, it really uh, isolates the home from that activity very, very well. So that's really not a concern at all. It's it's more just like being careful about the weight distribution. On your video, you talk about the drilling process and you talk about the way that you use vibration to speed up the penetration right into yeah. the depths and even through bedrock. So um, is that, uh, is that a, a unique design to your organization? So Dandelion certainly did not invent sonic drilling and, and exactly what you're describing. It's called sonic drilling and it, you use a, um, you vibrate the, the, it's called casing, but um, just like the metal sort of shaft you're trying to put into the ground, you vibrate it at a certain frequency that essentially 
causes what's called liquefaction to happen mm. right around it in the soil. So it makes that soil act like a liquid. And it's really interesting. Like it's really fun to watch because you see this metal um, tube essentially slipping into solid ground as if that ground were butter or, you know, like something that wasn't solid. And it almost defies logic when you watch it, but it's just because we've achieved this resonant frequency that allows that to happen. So while we did not invent that technology, um, it's been around for decades, we repurposed it and, and put it to use for making geothermal installations much easier, cleaner, and less expensive for homeowners. Presumably it depends on exactly the nature of the ground that you're working on, because if there's a lot of rock, uh, how, do, how do things work there? Yes, that is one of the central challenges of drilling and certainly of geothermal drilling is that in different locations, you might have bedrock to surface or you might have soil, you know, hundreds of meters down. And um, so we've, you know, one of the things we've thought about when designing our drilling suite is how do we build the Swiss Army knife of drills so that um, it's like optimized for that uncertainty, right? You, It might not be the perfect solution for any one very specific condition, but as a whole, because we're doing hundreds of homes, it works better than anything else would, um, just on average for those homes. So that's, I mean, you're mentioning one of the key challenges of really figuring out how to do this efficiently. Right, okay. Uh, let's go back into the home, and that's where you receive the heat. What temperature are you are you achieving from the heat pump? Typically, the um, the air temperatures that are going into the ductwork, anywhere from like ninety degrees Fahrenheit to around one hundred and ten degrees Fahrenheit, somewhere in that range. So, um, it depends on a few factors, like what temperature the homeowner has set their thermostat to. Yeah. But that's that's typically the range we're seeing. 30 to 45 degrees centigrade. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Can you actually uh, heat the domestic water to that level as well? We do. So that is, it happens to be called a desuperheater. Don't ask me why it's called that, but when you add a desuperheater to a geothermal heat pump, you are actually able to harvest some of that heat to supplement your domestic hot water. So our homeowners get about half of their domestic hot water supplied by the heat pump. Okay, so you still have to have um, an electric motion heater, presumably. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, the key thing that people are going to ask is, okay, it's green and we all want to be green, but uh, is it cost effective? You are not paying for natural gas or oil, but you are paying for electricity. Yes. And so you have got bills how will they compare? Let's let's take the operating cost question. So how much does it cost to run the system over time? And then I'll take on the upfront cost question, which is how much does it yeah. cost to get this thing installed in the house? So when you just look at an operating cost perspective, geothermal heating is the least expensive way, typically by a large margin, to heat and cool homes. And you know, when you're comparing it to something like oil heating, it can be as much as 80% less expensive, like very significantly less. If you're looking at natural gas where the prices are lower, the differential will be less, right? It will be 
less expensive than gas, but not by as wide a margin as a more expensive fuel. Um, and then when you compare it to something like electric resistance heating, it's about 25% the cost. So we're, we're looking from an operating cost perspective at like significant decreases. The challenge with geothermal historically has been, yes, that's great, but it's just been so expensive to install up front that even with those large decreases, the paybacks still haven't been attractive. And so really our you know, reason for being at Dandelion and sort of the heart of what we're trying to do is bring that upfront cost down so it's a no-brainer, right? Like it's not that expensive to get it installed up front. So of course you're gonna wanna realize those huge cost savings over time. And um, then we're really aligning the homeowner's financial incentives with societal impact, right? Um, so right now we're at a payback period for homeowners using fuel oil or propane, so those more expensive fuels, of around five to seven years. Our typical customer is paying somewhere in the neighborhood of $3,000 a year on fuel oil. When they switch to dandelion, they'll likely be paying about $1,000 a year for running their geothermal system. So they're saving about $2,000 a year. Um, and a lot of our homeowners are at the point where like their furnaces are getting kind of old. So a lot of people are like, well, I'm going to have to replace this furnace anyway. So I can either commit to a decade more of fuel oil or switch to geo. Um, so they save the cost of not having to buy that furnace or air conditioner that they would have had to buy. So upfront, our system will cost people in the neighborhood of $25,000, mm -hmm. which is, you know, probably about 15 ish thousand dollars more than what a furnace would have cost yeah. them. Yeah. But then they will get that money back over time in actual fuel cost savings. Exactly. And like the nice, I mean, one of the really great things about these systems is that once you install the ground loops in the house and the ground or in the yard, I should say, and those ground loops are the most expensive part of the installation, they will last as long as the home. So you do it once, you get the ground loops installed, and then you have geothermal forever, right? And when when the, the heat pumps last about 25 years, so it's a very long equipment lifetime. But 25 years from now, when you have to replace your heat pump, it'll be very similar to replacing it, a central air conditioning unit. Um, it's going to be much less expensive than getting that system in place to start. But you're saying that the ground loops will last more or less indefinitely? Yes, they do. Right. Yes, I've seen your video and it's quite impressive the way that you create the shaft. It's quite a big piece of plant, although it's... Uh, um, it fits well into uh, into residential environments, but it's still quite uh, um, quite a big project. And I have to ask, yeah, there are heat pumps and heat pumps. Why ground source? Why not use an air source heat pump, which is a much simpler, a smaller and cheaper unit? I think the main um, trade off there. So there's two. One is when it gets very, very cold, it's hard to extract enough heat 
from very cold air to sufficiently heat a home. So I think air source units are a very good solution for mild climates mm -hmm. where it never gets that cold, right? Um, they struggle more when you get very cold weather. There's a lot of attention going into innovating to, to make heat pumps work at colder and colder temperatures. So it's a problem that many people are interested in because the electrification of heating needs to happen, right? But it's a thermodynamic challenge, right? Like once you get, once the heat content in the air is low enough, it's just going to be hard to extract enough of it to heat a home. So that's one. So our hypothesis is it's much easier to figure out how to put a piece of plastic in the ground uh, cheaply, efficiently, quickly, then like solve this thermodynamic problem. The second piece of it is when you look at that operating cost, like I mentioned that geothermal can be like 20% the cost of some fuels or 25% the cost of electric resistance, air source will be much more than that because it's never going to operate as efficiently. And because the geothermal system has such a long lifetime and it operates at such a low cost, the actual value to the homeowner, it's much greater. So like financially, it's in people's best interest to have geothermal. But all of that said, like our challenge as Dandelion and really the problem we're looking to solve over time is how do we make that uh, installation of the ground loop easier and easier and simpler and simpler over time. And I think we've made a lot of progress in the time we've existed. So like in the last four years, I think the, um, the drill that we use today has significant advantages over conventional, but I think we're just getting started. So I, I would imagine that four years from now, that drilling process will look much simpler and <laughs> you know make it less of a big project as we go into the future. Well, I think this week, for example, um, it is in the low teens Fahrenheit. Right. So that's yeah. minus 10 to 12 centigrade. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the temperatures um, where these systems really shine. Like they're connected to the ground, which isn't that cold. right? And so they're able to deliver the heating capacity that the home needs. So what sort of temperature would you find in the shaft in the ground? Mm -hmm. So the the shallow ground temperature tends to just be the average air temperature over the course of the year at that location. So here in New York, it's about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Right, Th throughout, the, throughout the year. Throughout the year, exactly. And like, of course, as we pull heat out of that ground loop to heat the house, it gets colder and colder because we're removing heat. And then summer comes and then we're rejecting heat into it. So it gets warmer and warmer. Yeah. Um, and the way we size that ground loop and determine how deep it needs to be for a given home is making sure that it never gets too cold and it never gets too hot, right? Like right. it's long enough so that that heating or cooling is distributed enough that it's within the bounds that will make that heat pump operate at very, very high efficiency. Yeah. Well, Kathy, this has been very interesting. You now have a new president, of course, who's got very, very different uh, views on climate change and things like that. Do you yeah. think that the change of administration will actually uh, bring in grants and subsidies for systems such as yours? Build back better is what they're calling it. And I think that that's very aligned to what we're doing. So at Dandelion, we hire a lot of people to drill those holes, to connect them to the house, to install that new equipment, right? It's, um, 
and we can't outsource those jobs, right? These are people that have to go in person to all of these homes and all of these communities. By, by definition, they have to be local, right? And so um, because we're hiring and creating a lot of jobs in, in local communities to transition people to green energy, what we're doing is just very aligned with the narrative that I see the administration putting forth. And so that gives me some hope that um, their policies will just be a really good fit for what our vision for how this will go as well. Great. Well, that's a, a very positive note to end on. Cathy uh, Hanoon of uh, Dandelion Energy, thank you very much for talking to the Sustainable Futures Report. And thank you for having me. You can find out more and watch the video of the drilling process at dandelionenergy.com. Britain has left the EU. Brexit is a fact. Writing in The New European, Ian Dunt explains how this will affect climate action in the UK. Former Prime Minister David Cameron tried to tone down environmental regulation, but found he was very restricted by EU directives. If the country failed to observe them, then fines would have to be paid. As I reported in previous episodes, the government was successfully sued on several occasions by Client Earth for failing to meet EU standards for clean air. Of course, EU directives no longer apply in the UK. The Office for Environmental Protection, the OEP, has been established to take the place of the European Commission in this area. This new office does not have anything like the powers that the Commission has. It is controlled by DEFRA, the Department for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. It cannot sanction the government because the Secretary of State for DEFRA can overrule it. It can apply to the High Court for an environmental review, but the court will have no power to award damages or impose penalties. Any other action taken by the OEP must not be detrimental to good administration, according to the legislation, whatever that means. In his article, Ian Dunt suggests that our Prime Minister is ready and eager to make promises but post-Brexit he will have every opportunity to fail to carry them out. I fear he's right. And that's it until next time. Next week there'll be an interview about waves and beaches. I think you'll find the book interesting and the author looks pretty interesting as well. Before I go, I promise to tell you how you too can become a patron, like many other people, including latest silver supporters Chris Marcel and David Emsley. For a small monthly contribution, you can help me cover the costs of the Sustainable Futures Report. It's the only source of income, as there's no advertising, sponsorship or subsidies. As a patron, you will have exclusive access to the A to Z of sustainability, which I'm launching this month. A is for action, as I told you last time, and a lot more besides. I'm always grateful to patrons for information and ideas. If you want to sign up, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash SFR. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash SFR. Thank you for listening. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. Until next time. Music.